We'll begin right away with our Q&A session. A reminder, like always, to please skip the personal greetings and start right away with the questions that you have for Todd. We'll begin with Rich Campbell of the Chicago Tribune and then Matt Benzel with the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Hi, Todd. Uh, regarding Corey Davis, uh, what makes him such a good route runner in your estimation, and what areas do you see big room for improvement in his game? Well, Corey, it, it helps to have size and speed, and he has both. 6'2 and, and change. He's, um, you know, he didn't run an official 40 and won't because of the injury. But uh, it's actually, I think on tape, he plays like a 4-4 guy. I think that's kind of a, you know, when you're debating Mike Williams versus Corey Davis, Mike Williams ran and he ran in the low 4.5s, and I think Corey Davis is, is probably close to a 4-4 type receiver, as I said. So having those measurables, the size to shield and the speed to to scare and and, uh, and also to challenge, those are help, helpful. Now, I also think he's re- relatively advanced in terms of just his craftiness and, and changing tempos, setting up breaks using his head and shoulders and just small, subtle moves. He also has good change of direction, um, and he has, I think, good acceleration out of his break. So um, I think it's a combination of all those things. I think the one area he can improve upon probably the most would be with his ball skills, just the consistency. Uh, I see more focus drops than, than anything else. I don't think it's a hand-eye coordination issue because he makes some spectacular catches and shows good body control, but um, there were a few too many focus drops and it struggled a little bit too on the fastball and on shorter and intermediate routes. So I think just working the jugs machine and constantly working the ball skills will, will make him a, a more complete player. But again, he's one of the top, certainly three receivers in this draft. I think one of the top two receivers, he and Mike Williams and Although he could wind up somewhere in the 15 to 25 range, that may be considered a little bit of a slide. He's certainly a first-round prospect with, you know, 52 career receiving touchdowns and and just the production that you're looking for from the small school, but still was was dominant. Matt Vensel, followed by Steve Megary with the Associated Press. Hey, Todd. Even though the Vikings signed a couple of offensive tackles, do you still consider offensive line a need for them, especially over the long term? And, you know, without a first-round pick, how much of a drop-out is there, drop-down, drop-off with the talent is there from uh, day one to day two where they have three picks? Yeah, I, I think, you know, just going over my list for Minnesota, I've got defensive tackle, obviously Sharif Floyd, and guard would be right there on the top two or three, and then tackle a little bit later in the draft. Um, so I, I still I still think it's a – Somewhat of a priority. I know that Spielman is is always focused more on good quality players than he is reaching for a position. But assuming that there's you know if there's a player that with similar grades that then you'd kind of use it as the tiebreaker. So uh, with that in mind, when you start looking at this class, you got to pick uh at what 48 i think is is the their first pick and you kind of look at who's going to be available at that point is it dan feeney from indiana i, I think would be a, a good value in terms of, w- of where you could get him at that 48th pick Dion dawkins is fast rising out of temple i'm not sure he'll he'll even be there at 48 but 
Uh, those two guys, to me, firmly belong in the second round. Dorian Johnson is just on the fringe, kind of a second, third rounder out of Pittsburgh. And Nico Siragusa from San Diego State. I think those two guys, if any of those names in the second, third round would be, would be good values. I think Deion Dawkins is the best of the group. He's got length. He possibly can still play tackle. Um, Dan Feeney's a grinder. Dorian Johnson is a, a mauler and uh, just a very consistent player on tape. The more you study of him, the more you appreciate his game and, and consistency and efficiency. And then, uh, Nico Siragusa kind of surprised me. I had the, the, uh, their conference championship game in Wyoming and, and he really jumped out when studying the tape and getting, getting ready for that game, played well in that game. And, and, um, just the more I've watched him, the more I like his game as well. Steve Megary, followed by Connor Hughes with the Newark Star-Ledger. I was just wondering what your projection was for when Joshua Dobbs might get taken. I'm just wondering how these last couple months, what he's done from Mobile on, impact this stuff. Um, my, I've got Josh, Joshua Dobbs as the fifth-rated quarterback in the class behind the top four guys in, in Trubisky, Watson, Mahomes, and Kaiser. Uh, to be honest with you, when I started this process, I just I watched mostly him on television and watched Tennessee grinding out games versus lesser competition, slow starts, having to battle back, not necessarily living up to extraordinarily high um, expectations coming into the year. And I went into the Senior Bowl. In my opinion, you have to wipe out any preconceived notion unless it's from studying tape. And I had such a limited experience sitting and studying tape on him. I'd watched a little bit coming into the season from 2015 that watching him at the Senior Bowl is a guy that got better every day, clearly was picking up what, what the Cleveland Browns, Hugh Jackson, and that offensive coaching staff was, was giving him. He, you could see every throw he was gaining more confidence as the week went on. His footwork and timing on drops, timing with receivers, getting the ball out before receivers were breaking – kept getting better and better. And then I went and watched the tape, and, and every game I watched, I, I just I liked them a little bit more. And I know the accuracy wasn't elite, but it was better than the numbers would indicate and better than the narrative right now out there because there are a lot of drop balls. There are a lot of throws where the receiver didn't break at the right time or, or had the wrong break. And um, you combine the, the size, the arm strength, he can whip it, the the footwork, just the, the quickness of his feet, the ability to extend plays. I, I would argue he's the most dangerous runner of all these quarterbacks, and it's very low on the totem pole in terms of importance, but it's it's a nice extra. And then the intelligence combined with the fact that he's never been able to fully focus on football, which is, is the case for all these quarterbacks, but even more so for him because of his workload and, and what he was asked to do, and it's obviously well reported. So to be able to take that mind and to put it solely on football, I'm interested to see what the end product would be. Long, short, I think he's going to be a second-round pick, and I think he's got a chance to be a real gem from this year's quarterback class when we look back on it. Next is Connor Hughes, and then Justin Rogers with Detroit News. The New York Jets seem like a team that, that obviously needs a quarterback yet again, but they also seem like they kind of want to trade back in this year's class. 
at, how far back do you believe they can trade while still realistically having that possibility of landing either Deshaun Watson or Mitch Trubisky? Well, I, I could sit here and lie to you and tell you that I know where the quarterbacks are going or even the range. I mean, I'd like to think that Trubisky and Kaiser will be the first two off the board. When I talk to guys in the league, I, I get a lot of dif- differing opinions on where Mahomes and Kaiser are going to go. And I'm, you know, Mahomes seems to be every everyone's favorite story, and obviously he has unbelievable talent. Uh, but when I actually talk to guys who are decision makers in the league, there are very few that are saying that they want to invest the time and commitment into developing him because you're just so limited in the hours you get already, and it's going to be such a long project. There are others that, that think he's worth it and he's going to wind up being a star. So it'll be interesting to see where these quarterbacks come off the board because I, there's, there's such a wide array of positives and issues with each guy. Um, more directly, I, you know, the Jets are sitting at six. You have to find someone to move in is the problem. Who wants to make that trade? And likely it would be for a team wanting to come up and get a quarterback if if the team had fear that, Let's say the Chargers at seven, or um, looking at Arizona at, at thirteen, uh, Cleveland obviously at twelve, Arizona thirteen. If one of those teams were going to uh, legitimately, legitimately move up, if they had that intel, so I, I just I wonder if the Jets are going to have someone to make a trade with when you look at this board because you know you've got, in my opinion, you've got Miles Garrett sitting at one, and then probably eight or nine other players that are all kind of in a similar grade. And I think a lot of it will have to do with team need, but I don't know that teams are going to be willing to give away picks in a very talent-rich draft in the second and third rounds to go up and move up and get one player. So, you know, if I'm the Jets, obviously I'm exploring everything. I'm keeping the phones open. If that's what I want to do is move back and then hopefully get a quarterback a little later, but get some more pick compensation for it. I'm obviously doing everything I can and planting every rumor I possibly can. But why am I going to move up for Jamal Adams and give away a second and a third round pick when I can get Malik Hooker? Why am I going to move up for Jonathan Allen or Solomon Thomas and give away a second or third round pick when I can get the other guy? You know, it just there's too many players in a similar grade area, I think, for teams to, to be – willing to give up stuff to go to go move up. So I, I just I wouldn't be overly confident if I was a Jets fan that you're gonna be able to get a deal to move back. Justin Rogers and then Josh Katzenstein with the New Orleans Times Picune. Todd, way back in December, your your first mock draft, you projected Jared Davis to Detroit. Five months later we've we've kind of come full circle on this and that, that pick seems to make a lot of sense. after this pre draft process, do you still view Davis as a as a first-round talent, and, and how do you view his fit in a 4-3 defense at this point? Yeah, I think from a talent standpoint, uh, there's Jared Davis is a, is a first-round player. From a, an intangible standpoint, he's top five in the class. I mean, he's, he's a player that loves the game. You can see the, the passion and, and just energy that he has for the game when you study him on tape, and then you talk to people around that, you know, around the Florida program and scouts that have been evaluating him and doing the background, and there's just there's nothing but positives uh, when it comes to, to Davis. Now, 
Durability is going to be the only thing where you look at the issues he's had. How do teams, with their medical process, what do they think of him in terms of long-term? Is, is, are the knee, is the knee injury a concern? You know, is, is he going to be able to stay on the field? I think that's the biggest thing. But if, if he checks out medically, to me, Davis is, you know, 6'1 and change, 238 pounds. He, he ran a 4'6 at his pro day. He had, um, you know, 38 and a half inch vertical, 10-9 broad jump. He, he had an elite workout at his pro day. And I think it just helps solidify everything that you see on tape. Good instincts, very active versus the run. Uh, I think he's probably in the top two or three in terms of range versus the run. He's got an extra gear and, um, solid tackler, good take on skills. And, and I think he can improve a little bit. Is, it, with um, in zone in zone coverage and, and um, just the kind of feel that he has, but I think it's also coachable and, and he'll develop it. So very complete player and, and a guy that I think belongs in the first round. So long as in, that NFL team obviously will will have cleared him medically. Thanks, Todd. We'll go to Josh Katzenstein, followed by Dwayne Rankin with the Montgomery Advertiser. Todd, how would you uh, compare some of the mid-round, mid-first-round defensive end options where the Saints are picking at number 11? Well, uh, you got Miles Garrett, who will be gone. And then after that, you've got you're probably the next best. I, I don't consider Solomon Thomas, and I don't know that he'll be there at 11. I, I, he likely will not be. But Stanford Solomon Thomas, to me, is more of a, Three technique at 270, 273 pounds that will bulk up and play inside more than he plays outside. Certainly brings position versatility, but he's not an edge rusher to me or an edge guy. So next up then, it's, it's an interesting group because Derek Barnett from Tennessee has just insane production, really good with his hands, great motor, uh, does all the little things right, and, and you, you watch him on tape, and you look and you say, ah, I just don't, you know, I'm not sure that he's the most athletic guy. I don't, you know, there's some limitations that you see when you study him. But then you keep on going back and looking and saying, but, boy, you know, how do you beat this production? And how is it he's going up against SEC offensive linemen and beating them consistently? And how is it that over the last few years he's been able to put up the production that he has, which, I mean, 39 games played, 36 starts, 52 tackles for loss, and 33 sacks. He beat Reggie White's record of 32 sacks. So, you know, he's hard because the football instincts, the the closing burst, the hand usage is excellent. But, he again, there are some physical limitations I think some teams will look at and say, you know what, that just doesn't fit what we are looking for for a, a you know, 10th, 11th pick in the draft. I think there's a little bit of a dip after that, but I think kind of more later in the first round, to me, you get guys like um, Taco Charlton, who's very complete in terms of a run defender and pass rusher. I think he'll continue to get better, but I don't know that he has elite pass rushing skills. Tack McKinley is an undersized 4-3 defensive end, in my opinion. Some people view him as a 3-4 outside backer. I think he could probably do both. But he's a little bit straight line-ish, and I, I think if he learns how to use his hands, he's going to be really good because he's explosive with his speed, his takeoff. He's got some power, and he plays with the best motor probably of any defensive player I watched the entire year. 
And Charles Harris, as I mentioned, from Missouri's twitched up outside linebacker who can drop into coverage. Really good athleticism, but raw and, and needs to develop more uh, speed, speed to power rusher. So you've got Charlton, Harris, Tack McKinley, all kind of different players, but they're all in that, I think, bottom half of the first round as the top five, six edge rushers in this year's class. We'll go to Dwayne Rankin, followed by Nate Davis with USA Today. Uh, yes, I want to ask about a quarterback, Jeremy Johnson. I know a couple of years ago when he entered the 2015 season, he was highly regarded. Obviously, he had a rough uh, last two years at Auburn. But what do you see his future as far as the, as far as the NFL goes? I'm sure he won't get drafted, them, but do you feel like he'll get a free agent look? What do you think his future will be? Um, you know, he, he does have talent. It obviously didn't work out, as, as you were alluding to. I, I honestly don't know, and I hate to say that. I, I just I, I don't know if a team is going to be willing, coming from that system, showing that he he wasn't able to handle what they asked of him at Auburn. That if a team, I think teams will work him out and will will try, and and you never know. He may get a shot to come in um, when they have rookie mini camp and, and see if you know if, if a team believes that they can get something out of him that wasn't gotten out of him in, in Auburn, but. I would say, and I hate saying this, but for a lot of guys who are undrafted, it's a long shot. But as I was reminded today on NFL Insiders with Wendy Nix, 33% of the rosters at the end of the season in the NFL were made up of undrafted free agents. So, you know, I never say never. It'll be a long road, and he has some developing to do, but he certainly does have the physical tools. And he was regarded as a guy who, you know, could have been – Coming in the year could have been, I think people were talking about potentially, uh, you know, the Heisman race, the Heisman finalist. So the ability is there. It just is going to take someone believing in him and for him to just find a way. Nate Davis, followed by Jeremy Tepper with the Beaver County Times. Hey, Todd, I wanted to ask you about the first-round clusters at two positions. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on how many quarterbacks you think will go, even though it's considered not a very good class. I think you you would have four if Kaiser sneaks in there. Uh, and then also tight ends, I think you would get to three. Uh, you've got Ingram right on the outside of it, too. So not not a real big run on tight ends uh, in a long time, and then just the quarterbacks maybe uh, over, over over being overdrafted in terms of uh, team needs. Yeah, they, they usually are quarterbacks. I'll start with the tight ends. We've had two in the last six years go in the first round, and I would be willing to to bet if Vegas – I saw Vegas has the prop bets out this year. I'd be willing to bet if, if it was two and a half, I would take the over, and I would bet a lot of money. I think Evan Ingram will very likely be drafted. I think teams are looking at him as not as a tight end necessarily as much as they are a matchup piece, a guy that basically is a wide receiver, but he can give you a little bit more in blocking. He's going to force your hand in terms of uh, mismatches and who you're going to use to cover him, and and can we exploit that? Or are you going to give him too much attention and it's going to open something else up, you know, clear somebody out, out of the box for us to run the football? So I think with O.J. Howard, David Njoku, and, and Evan Ingram, those three guys will come off the board in the first round, and that's, you know, that's more than we've seen in the last six years, as I mentioned. So, it really is an impressive group, and I think there are probably eight, nine, maybe up to ten tight ends that could go in the the first three rounds. The quarterback, ironically, it's I don't want to say it's a deep class, but there's more in that middle range 
in, uh, in terms of value than a lot of people have talked about or have really thought coming into the process. But there's still questions with the top guys. And I, I don't want to bore you with all, you know, the top four guys and what their questions are and what their positives are. We've gone through it a hundred times. But Mitch Trubisky will be a first-round pick. I think it's likely he's the first quarterback off the board. Sean Watson is very likely to be a first-round pick. It'll be interesting to see where he goes. A team's going to have to just believe in his intangibles, his drive to be successful, his maturity, his athleticism, his arm, you know, I think adequate to good arm strength, above average arm strength, and the fact that he is he has the clutch gene and kind of have a plan for him and a way to develop him so that he can transition properly from that offensive system in college to to the NFL and continue to work on his deep accuracy. But he, to me, will wind up as the second or third quarterback taken, most likely the second. And I think, you know, I get, as I said before, I get differing opinions. There are some teams I've talked to that think, that think Mahomes is a media creation was the last quote I got last night talking to someone from the league. And his take lines up with a player that you would draft on day two. And the same with Deshaun Kaiser. Both big, both have huge arms. Uh, Kaiser, obviously, bigger than Mahomes, but I'm talking big arm, the ability to make throws that most human beings cannot make. But the inconsistency of accuracy, especially with Kaiser, the lack of just discipline and structure from Mahomes with the system he comes comes in from, and you know, just playing, it's almost like learning a different language, what Mahomes is going to have to do from that system to the NFL. So when it's all said and done, it won't shock me if all four go. My guess is that it'll be three with uh, Trubisky, Watson, and Mahomes, and then Kaiser going. If he doesn't go late in the first, early in the second. But then I think Josh Dobbs and Nate Peterman uh, from Pitt are, are likely to go in the second round. And Davis Webb, even though I'm, I don't have as high a grade on him as a lot of people in the league seem to, uh, I think he's going to be a second-round pick as well. So I think you could see as many as – what is that, seven quarterbacks in the first two rounds. And like I said, there's more depth in that late first, second, early third round range than most years. Uh, but we're just missing out on the – this class just doesn't have the elite number one overall pick type of quarterback. Jeremy Tepper followed by Tim May with the Columbus Dispatch. Uh, kind of a two-parter here. Um, where is uh, James Conner's draft stock right now on – what do teams see as the pros and cons of him? And also, do teams kind of see him as a high-character guy because of the way he carried himself during his fight with cancer? James Conner, okay. Um, I mean, what he did was unbelievable, obviously. And and I think – I even think talking to him, he he knows he grew up a lot, and it, it forced him to mature. And, and I just – even watching him on tape, you see him keeping teammates accountable and how hard he plays the game and how passionate he is about the game. And he's always had that, and I think he's matured more. And he's had the, the responsibility, obviously, of everything that he went through, but now the responsibility of all the different banquets and, and everyone, the media attention and everyone wanting to talk to him. And yet he doesn't ever seem bothered by it or overwhelmed and has handled it Amazingly, and it really, I think, is a testament to his personal character 
and just kind of how he came out of this whole horrible situation and turned it into a positive moving forward in his life. So absolutely, I think this guy, from a competitiveness standpoint, from a personal character, football character, there's nothing but high grades. Um, you look at him physically, he's a pounder. He runs the ball like every carry is his last. He, he runs behind his pads. I think he has very good vision. He has a good feel for the flow and, and senses the cutback lane. He's, he's patient. He follows his, his blockers, waits for blocks to develop. Uh, brute strength as a runner. And, and I look at him in the passing game, and I know he only had 30 career catches, but he shows soft, natural hands. And I think he's, he's never going to be a guy you put out and move out and have him run routes. But I think out of the backfield is a, a dump off and, uh, you know, just in the underneath game that he can be effective. I remember in the Clemson game, he had that wheel route down the sideline and, uh, you know, it was a big play for them. So I, James Conner to me has kind of been, I don't want to say overlooked, but maybe underrated a little bit in this process. I mean, everyone's focusing on the story, which is wonderful and it should be the focus. But he, he's a really good football player, and I think he, he's got a chance to go late third, and if he doesn't go late third, it'll probably be early in the fourth, and I think he'll be ready to contribute right away. Tim May, and then Arnie Stapleton with the Associated Press. Thank you, Todd. Even though uh, uh, Malik Hooker's not going to be it hasn't worked out, won't be able to work out until after the draft, and maybe not even well after then, there seems to be no reticence about people projecting him way up in the draft. I'm just wondering why is that from your perspective? And then number two, uh, where do you uh, where do you see Raekwon McMillan falling out when this thing's all said and done? Um, you know, Hooker's, it'll be interesting to see with Malik because, I, you know, the talent is all there. Uh, as you well know, he's, his ball skills are sensational. His instincts and, and ability to read quarterback's eyes and get early jumps and then the closing speed – it, it really is. It's, it's all there and everything that it's made out to be, you know, just watching tape after tape. He's an inconsistent tackler. I think he's got to improve in that area. And, you know, I, I think teams are a little bit, just kind of get to the core here, I think teams are a little bit more, some teams I've talked to, let's put it this way, are a little bit more, a little bit more worried about the durability um, and the lack of true experience for some teams that I've talked to as well, but more, mostly the, the durability and the, the run support tackling. And I'm talking, I'm, you know, I'm saying if he doesn't go in the top three to five picks and is there at seven, let's say, for the Chargers, it probably has to do with a little bit of a combination of both of the teams saying, you know what, we're going to go Jamal Adams because he's a more short thing, even though he doesn't turn the ball over like Hooker does. You know, those kind of debates that go on. So I, I think there's a little bit more concern for some teams and maybe has been let on during this, this pre-draft process. Um, with Raekwon, you know, he is a tough run defender, and every time you turn on the tape, this guy's making plays all over the field, uh, probably underrated in terms of what he, what he did for that Ohio State defense the last two years, and I thought he got better and better each year. Now, there's always going to be that question of what can he do for you on passing downs, and this is the league now. It went from two-thirds run games where you're on the field, you know, two plays if you if you couldn't, can't cover or rush the quarterback to flip-flopping to now it's it's just the opposite where the rundown is one down per and the and the pass plays are, are two two plays. So 
if you're talking about a player that might, you know, that has limitations and isn't great in coverage, I think he's adequate in zone and, and his instincts continue to evolve. But there will be some matchups that he's just outquicked by some running backs. And I think that's the, the one area that he's got to continue to improve upon. Uh, but when it's all said and done, I think Raekwon, because he's such a playmaker versus the run, such a good tackler, has good instincts, I, I think he's going to wind up probably in the third round. But it won't surprise me if he comes off the board late in the second. Arnie Stapleton, followed by Patrick Finley with the Chicago Sun-Times. Hey, Tub, there seems to be um, more and more key players in this draft who are good special teams players, either as returners or in coverage. I'm wondering if you can just speak to how this versatility adds to their value for these prospects and how teams could fill you know, multiple needs with, with these prospects. Yeah, I think we're seeing more, more and more programs put an emphasis on special teams and and having their key players contribute in one or multiple areas of special teams. I know Ohio State, obviously, Urban Meyer coaches special teams, and there's a major emphasis there. And so you'll see some more guys, you know, typically wind up contributing that are their starters and stars. And it's an honor to, to be on special teams. And, and the emphasis is, is really there in terms of the importance of the game, and it should be. Um, you know, and there are also some some special team demons. I, you know, even you got Jabril Peppers and what he can do in the return game will help his value as he continues to develop as a safety in the NFL. Um, Mac Hollins from North Carolina is a great example. He's had some durability issues, but he's a six four, two hundred and twenty pound wide receiver who I think can develop into a, a good matchup piece, as I talked about before in the passing game. Uh, but he's also, I think, his greatest strength is is what he does on special teams. He's been a special teams demon for for North Carolina the last couple of years. And, and not only do you like the fact that they come in and have experience doing it, you love the mentality if you're a coach and a decision maker. If this guy, he's not a diva. He, you know, he's got no ego about it. He understands team and puts team before self. And he comes in with the mindset of what, what can I do to help the team and how can I contribute? And those are the guys that seem to make it and last longer in the league because they just they're willing to do different things and whatever it takes. So I think I think you make a good point, and I think we're seeing more of an emphasis in it in college. And I think it NFL teams love to see it because it just means you're getting a little bit more for your for your buck. Patrick Finley followed by Christopher Walsh with SEC Country. Hey, Todd, there's so many uh, high prospects this year who have been unable to work out, unable uh, to show their stuff because of injury. I'm curious what the biggest challenge is in not only projecting them uh, despite these injuries, but kind of how to weigh that added risk that comes with selecting somebody who maybe wasn't able to work out, uh, you, know, and, you know, at all during the pre-draft season. Yeah, it definitely – you know, it, it definitely is is slightly bothersome just because you want to you want to confirm what you see on tape. That's ultimately what the the workouts are for. When you see a guy like Tease Tabor for Florida, and you watch him on tape, and you know you realize he's not a four three or four four guy in the forty yard dash. He's probably more like a low four fives, mid four fives, and he goes out and runs a four six two. I think it was at, at the combine. And then a few weeks later at the pro day, he runs in the low four sevens. 
that becomes alarming. That's when you go back to the tape and you study and you try to figure out, is he just, does he play faster or was I missing something and then I over, over evaluated him versus competition that didn't stack up or so on and so forth. So I think it's always good to have it. It doesn't mean it's the end all be all. We've seen plenty of guys not be able to work out and get drafted high and go on to have very good careers. You know, this year there are a few. Just off the top of my head, we just talked about Malik Hooker, uh, Corey Davis from Western Michigan, who to me that's the hardest one. At a speed position, coming from a, you know, playing in, in um, the MAC where the competition was, it's just not what you see in the ACC or the SEC or some of the other Power Five schools. And so trying to stack that up and obviously going back and studying the Ohio State tape and the Michigan State tape and the Wisconsin tape over his career and, and trying to isolate against the speed corners and guys that can run, what is he truly? And I, again, I think he, I would guess he's going to run in the mid four fives if he ran a 40 yard dash, but we'll never know. And so it becomes more difficult when the player isn't playing at the highest level every week against that kind of competition. Brian Ramchek's another guy who, you know, offensive line workouts, not massively important, but there's still things to take from, from certain results. And he just one year of experience at the big college level, transferring in um, from Division three and, and playing one year as a starter at Wisconsin. Now you don't have the workouts as well, and it just – it's just another thing that you, you're not able to check that box off. And so sometimes it just comes down to a tie. You know, if you have a, a similar grade on Garrett Bowles from, from Utah, as you do Ryan Ramchek from Wisconsin, and Bowles worked out well and, and you have more information, then maybe that, that becomes the tiebreaker. But there's also, you know, a history with Bowles and, and off-the-field issues that will, will factor in as well. Christopher Walsh, and then Ray Fittipaldo with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Thank you. Uh, Todd, I want to ask you about a couple of Alabama guys, and I'm wondering if we might hear the steel tag um, next week with either Ryan Anderson, Eddie Jackson, or Darius Stewart. Um, of the three, I would say Ryan Anderson will probably be the value, the biggest value. I, I like all three of them in, in different ways and all that. Um but Ryan Anderson, to me, is kind of overlooked, and he's a classic example of a guy who is not necessarily cut out for the pre-draft process, but he's a gamer. And, you know, even at the senior bowl practices, the one-on-ones and certain things, he just wasn't – he didn't dominate like, like he did in games, but then you watch him in, in real live situations, you know, team sessions, in games – and the guy just, he has instincts, he has a feel for the position, he knows how to rush the passer, he's really good bend, plays his tail off. And, you know, Tim Williams I like a lot. I think at the end of the day I would, I would rather draft Ryan Anderson a little bit later or, or even if it's the same pick because I know what I'm getting on and off the field. And I just, I think he's cut out for the NFL and I think he, you know, he has the passion for the game, the drive, football intelligence, a lot of the little things that you that you look up five years later and you say, man, why, why did I rank him so low when he was so good on tape and and he checked every other box and just the, did the workouts convince me to draft him later or, or to shy away from him at a certain point? So I, I think Ryan Anderson is going to wind up being a, a really good value pick from that vaunted defense of Alabama. 
Grace Apaldo, followed by Steve Serby with the New York Post. Todd, the Steelers are looking for a backup to Le'Veon Bell, and depending on how that contract situation plays out, maybe a guy who can develop into a starter long-term. Is there a guy in the middle round, say third round on, who, who would maybe fit that bill for the Steelers? Um, there are. Uh, I'm looking at Joe Williams from Utah as a, an interesting case in terms of a player who actually quit football. His team had some injuries at the position, Utah, and, and they begged him to come back. He decided to come back, and he went on an absolute tear. Um, and he's, he, you look at his workout numbers and, and the production he had late in his career, and he, he becomes a real intriguing player that I don't think a lot of people are kind of focusing on, but I think somewhere, I don't know, fourth, fifth round, when you're talking about a player that has some questions in terms of intangibles and love for the game, clearly, uh, but the vision and patience are there on tape. He's got an extra gear as a runner. He ran a 4-4-2. I mentioned his workout numbers. I mean, he it's insane what he was able to do. He ran a 1-5-8, 10-yard split at 210 pounds, 35-inch vertical, 10-5 broad, 4-1 short shuttle like a wide receiver. And, and again, it, it just matched up with what you saw late in his career. Um, the production of the passing game wasn't, wasn't great, but he, he flashes the ability to catch the ball. And um, I don't know. I just I think he's he's a, an intriguing player in the the later rounds at running back. A couple other guys: Brian Hill from Wyoming, um, DJ Pumphrey's more is third down back. Wayne Gallman is solid, but I don't I don't know that he has an elite trait. But he's really solid all around. Coming out of Clemson, Pumphrey out of um, San Diego State. So those those are a handful of guys. This is a really deep class. Let me just I'll leave you with that. I, I'm looking at my board right now. We have 30 running backs with draftable grades, and let's see, 12 of them in the first four rounds and 19 in the first five rounds. So this is a really deep class compared. It's not just the elite talent at the top. It runs into, the I think, the fourth and fifth round with these running backs. Steve Serby, and then we'll go to David Newton with ESPN.com. Hey, Todd, what is your opinion of uh, T.J. Watt and Zach? Cunningham. Well, T.J. Watt, I think, is a, an ascending player. You know, I, I think had he gone back to school, he, he might have been drafted a little higher, but I still think he's got a chance to be a first-round pick in, in this upcoming draft, late in the first, or if not probably most likely in the top 50. Um, you know, he's long. He's six four and a half, two 252 pounds. I think he can carry another probably 10 pounds, 15 pounds, Without losing anything, he he's got really good intangibles, the size, speed combination. He ran a four six nine, and a one five nine ten yard split. Anything under one six zero is outstanding, and that's one of the things, key things you look for for guys that will be rushing the passer. That initial burst out of your stance, the explosiveness, and then the lower body explosion, the ten eight broad jump, thirty seven inch vertical, and so that to me was. You know, I watch him on tape, and he's, he makes plays. He's explosive. He's long. He's he's strong versus the run. I think he can improve as a tackler, but I think that will come too. And and then you want to see do the, do the workout numbers match up, and and they do. 
And so I, I think with Watt, the team's going to wind up getting a, a really good value. Uh, Cunningham, I really liked. I wouldn't say I loved him. I mean, I, I have debates and conversations with guys in the league all the time. And was just talking with another scout last night, and he was saying, you know, he, he really liked. He, he actually he loved Cunningham and was surprised that we, when he went into meetings, he didn't that that love wasn't there from everyone. And he asked my opinion. I said, I you know, I like him. I think he's I think he's worth a late second, early third. But I'm not sure that you know we're talking about him in the top 50 in terms of players because it's a really deep group when you get kind of past the first 25 players there's a strong second tier if you will so I, he just he's long 34 and 3 inch arm 8 inches of arm length he I think he's good in coverage really good sideline to sideline run defender I think the tackling's got to improve he missed a lot of tackles made a lot of tackles but he missed a lot he had 228 total tackles, 33 tackles for loss, and six forced fumbles. So there's production there, there's speed, there's length, coverage ability. I just think the take-on skills and and the tackling will need to improve for him to become a, a complete player. But at the end of the day, like I said, I, I think he's a late second to third round prospect. David Newton and then Dan Duggan with NewJersey.com. Uh, Todd, knowing Carolina's need at running back and slot receiver and how the goal offensively has evolved as a more traditional offense to take the pressure off Cam Newton to run, how tough might it be for the Panthers to pass up on Christian McCaffrey at number eight if, if Leonard Fournette and maybe even tight end uh, O.J. Howard were still on the board? It'll be interesting to see with McCaffrey because I, I don't think it's out of the question, and, and I don't know that I would have said that two months ago. Um, you know, Dalvin Cook, I think just purely from a running and creating yard standpoint at Florida State, had more explosive tape. But when you look at Cook with the shoulder injuries, concerns about who he surrounds himself with and, and how he's going to handle more money, more fame, more free time, and, and also the fumbling, 1.7% uh, fumble percentage during his career there and, and not protecting the football as much as you want to see. Not that I, that always translates to the NFL, but it, it definitely when you're that high in terms of fumble percentage, you get nervous about it. So I, I think what's happened is Cook Cook has dropped and will slip a little bit, and McCaffrey with the workout being even better than expected, the tape being very, very good, the versatility being there, and then the intangibles as teams have met him and done their, their research and background on him, and just, I mean, you talk to David Shaw and he raves about this individual and what he brought in terms of an intensity every single day, professionalism, passion for the game. He just he ratcheted up the level of intensity at practice every single day. And so it'll be interesting to see because I don't think, like I said, I don't think he's out of, out of the question at eight. I think 14 is a possibility, as I've mentioned before, the Philadelphia Eagles, somewhere in that range. But I, I think it's more likely that he'll be – a top 15 pick today that I would have thought even, you know, a, a month or two months ago. And for when you look at Carolina, you know, you're sitting there at eight and hope Leonard Fournette falls to you. And I, I think that he would be a great fit for what they want to do. Over 70% of their offense last, last year is inside zone and power. And that, that's just the team they want to be. But if you don't get Fournette, you, you've got offensive tackle that you want to chip away at. I don't think at eight, but probably 40 or 64. you got those three picks in the top 64 this year. Take advantage of it. 
take the best available player there. And if, if it is McCaffrey, great. But I would I could also understand if it was you know if a pass rusher fell or if it was a safety there that they had a higher grade on. It certainly certainly won't be an offensive tackle. So to answer your question, I. It would not shock me if McCaffrey was in play at number eight, and I think that he would be a good pick if that, that's where they wind up choosing because right now we've got him as the 10th best player in the draft. So the value, in my opinion at least, is there. Dan Duggan, and then we'll go to Jeff Zrabic with the Baltimore Sun. Uh, with the Giants losing Jonathan Hankins in free agency, just wondering if there's anybody at 23 you think could replace him, you know, and if not, is there anybody, you know, just early options, uh, you know, a little later in the draft? Well, it, you know, it surprised me, to be honest, when it came down as it did. Um, you know, I, Jonathan Allen will be long gone. Solomon Thomas is will be long gone. Malik McDowell will be there, and, and most likely. But I don't know if that's the kind of player they're looking for in terms of just the consistent effort and practice habits and maturity. I, I think Malik's a different cat, and I think, the tape shows, forget my speculation, this is what the tape shows. The game that he had against Notre Dame, I would have taken him in the top ten if I had to evaluate him off of one game, the first game this year. Coming into the year, I thought he was one of the ten best prospects, and I think he's the most natural, naturally talented interior defensive lineman rushing the quarterback in this class. But then they went on a seven-game losing streak, and as the, the losses started, started to pile up, the effort started to go in the tank. And you know, last year, Chris Jones, it's kind of a similar situation. They're not – I wouldn't say they're comparisons in terms of play style or any of that. I'm just saying that the story and the situation that Chris Jones jumped out on tape as one of the 10, 15 best players in last year's class. I really refused to budge on him because I thought he was going to play harder in the NFL and more consistently than he did it at uh, Mississippi State. And I think the same with Malik, even though I'm, I'm I realize I'm in the – minority, but I, I can understand how teams are going to pass on him because of the risk of, you know, of using a first-round pick on a player that you think could potentially quit on you. So we'll see. Chris Jones had a really good rookie season. Will he play at a consistently high level? Only time will tell. Malik McDowell will likely pay the price of being a first-rounder and fall to the second round, uh, but he's got an opportunity to make up for it in the league and, and to prove that he can be more consistent. I think there's a drop-off after that, though. I think Caleb Brantley is a good player on tape. There's in, inconsistency concerns with him. Chris Wormley is is strong. He's got some pass rushing ability, but you know I think he's more of a, a late second to third. And you know you get into some other guys who are kind of third round prospects. Larry Ogunjobi from UNC Charlotte. Carlos Watkins from Clemson. Dalvin Tomlinson, who I liked more than I expected to. Alabama, Jaleel Johnson from Iowa, and Montrevious Adams, who was a late-rounder free agent on 2015 tape and was a late first-rounder on 2016 tape. So, again, was it a contract year, and he's only going to play when money's on the line, or, you know, has he grown up and, and become a more consistent player? But there is some depth, I think, in the third round. To me, that's where the value is if you're trying to draft a defensive tackle. Uh, but you're sitting there, you're the, the New York Giants, and you're looking at it and saying, can we wait to 87 to try to fill this void? It, that's That'll become the tug of war, my guess is, in their draft room. Jeff Rayback, followed by Matt Jones with Blue and Gold Illustrated. 
Todd, it seems that uh, in a lot of cases in recent years, in the top corners have been first-round guys or guys that have actually been taken much later, fifth round or later. Not a ton of the recent corners have come in the second to third round range. Is this a draft that could change that and you could realistically wait on a corner and still land an immediate contributor in that four-round range? Um, were, you, were you saying that corners typically come from the first round or later rounds? Is that what you said? Yeah, I just said in a lot of the recent drafts, it seems like you've there's been a lot of good corners in the fifth round or later, or you have to get right. in the first. I think been a ton of them in that day two range. Yeah, it's, a, it's actually an interesting point. I, listen, if, I mean, certainly what you're trying to do is just is is the target players where you think their value is, and and you're trying to hit obviously on every single pick. Um, I don't think from a mentality standpoint you go into it saying, you know, we don't, let's just not use a second rounder or a third rounder. Let's, let's wait because we can find value because we always do at the cornerback position. I, I just think it kind of is case by case. But this year specifically, I think there's more depth at corner than, than most positions and more depth at corner than we've seen in, in a lot of years. I, I think there are some really intriguing players whether it's Sidney Jones from Washington, who would have been the second or third corner had he not um, had he not suffered the Achilles injury at his pro day, uh, if you're if you're ready to redshirt a guy, then I think he could it could pay dividends in the future. Fabian Moreau, UCLA corner, probably a third rounder. Desmond King, who's a corner, some view him as a free safety. I think could be a really good value pick in the third round because, in my experience, ball skills transfer. They translate to the NFL and, and playmakers in college like Tyron Matthew, who is too slow and too short, too small, you know, become continue to be playmakers at the next level. And you, you see it, I think, time and time again. Um, and and he to me has good, very good ball skills and, and is one of those playmakers that that will step up. So it, even like a Nate Hairston from Temple in the fourth round who only played cornerback two years as a wide receiver at Temple, and they've moved him over to corner, and he's physical versus the run. He's got pretty good ball skills as a former wide receiver and really developed his instincts. I just I think there are a lot more guys that you're going to get in the fourth, fifth round at corner this year that you usually would have to spend a, I don't know, second, late second, third round pick on in, uh, in previous drafts. Matt Jones, followed by Karen Garagian with the Boston Herald. Yeah, Todd, wondering where you have maybe a Jerron Jones and Isaac Rochelle from Notre Dame, and then kind of a second part, where do you think a Quentin Nelson or a McGlinchey might have been had they come out in this year's class? Well, for the, the defensive linemen, actually did their, their tape kind of relatively recently, and talk about two very – different players. You know, they, it was kind of interesting just watching them because you've got one guy in Jones who has a lot of ability. I mean, he's got a lot of ability. He's six five and a half, three 316 pounds. He moves well. 35 and a half inch arms and an 85 and three-eighths inch wingspan. That's ridiculous. But, you know, he just he, his football character is, is in question. Let's put it that way. He played 36 games, only 18 starts with all that talent. He had just 19 and a half tackles for loss, four and a half sacks. 
He, had, he was nicked up, and I'll say this, you know, they had the Liz Frank, he had the, the torn MCL, and it, it seemed like this past year was the first time he really was kind of healthy. Um, but still, the, the tape is up and down. It, is he going to have the self-discipline to stay in shape and, and to do what he needs to do to be successful and maximize what is a very loaded toolbox? And then, you know, you look on the other side and, and you've got Rochelle, who doesn't really have the, the skill set that, that Jones has. And it's just he's got, he's got some limitations is the best way to put it. He's 6'4", 280, doesn't, he runs a 4'9". He's, you know, solid numbers but nothing special. But he plays his tail off. You know, you just watch him versus the run. He can set a strong edge. He, he can take on blocks. He chases. He pursues. He, he just, he's just never going to be a really good pass rusher, but he's strong and consistent versus the run. So where, where do you take these guys? The upside is clearly with Jones. And I think the, the consistency and knowing what you get is, is with Rochelle. So I gave them, just look here. I think I gave them both fifth round grades when it was all said and done. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see because one, you know what you're getting. And the other you don't, but but the potential is, is that much better with um, with Jones than it is Rochelle. Yeah, I gave Rochelle a 55 grade, which is middle of the fifth, and I gave Jones a 55 grade, which basically the same grade, very very different players. Karen Gurajian, followed by Jason Leeser with the Palm Beach Post. Yeah, I just I just wanted to get back to the cornerbacks uh, for a second, and uh, particularly with Sidney Jones. And given the depth uh, of the cornerbacks, how how far you think he might drop uh, given the injury? Yeah, this is brutal. It's a brutal part of the the business, and and the pre-draft process is just you know it doesn't happen often, but story like this it just it's too bad but the good news for Sydney is he's still going to be drafted in the first few rounds and he he will recover from this injury and he should go on to have a really productive career in the NFL and you look at it, I mean he he's a 6 foot corner pretty ad, adequate arm length 4 4 speed at the combine I thought he was the second best corner when I studied the tape in this class behind Marshawn Lattimore and you know got 40 starts, played 41 games, three seasons, played in every game, silky smooth in coverage. He's got the height, the length, the speed, can play press, he can play off coverage. I thought, you know, he has very good instincts. You can use him in a lot of different ways. And if he continues to get bigger, continues to get bigger and stronger, I think he'll become an even more complete player. But um, when it's all said and done, I think because this group is so strong, it won't surprise me if he winds up being the 10th or 11th corner taken. Uh, but it's going to be good for a team that has the plan to sit him, let him get healthy, and then be ready to go in in 2018. I, again, you got Marshawn Lattimore and, and Gary and Conley from Ohio State. His teammate Kevin King, who who had really good tape, but his tape wasn't as good as Jones. But then his workout was, you know, six three over 200. With the you know the forty time the vertical jump the broad jump the, were all outstanding to exceptional, so uh, he's going to wind up going. Marlon Humphrey from Alabama should be a, a first round pick. Adoree Jackson's late first or early second out of USC. 
Uh, Quincy Wilson is likely a, a late first, early second. Tredavious White, same thing from LSU. Jordan Lewis is a second rounder, maybe the most instinctive cover corner in this class, but he doesn't have elite size and speed. But I, I think he's going to be a great value pick. Chidobe Awuze from Colorado. Uh, all those guys will be in the first and second. And Tease Tabor from Florida, also from Florida, like uh, Quincy Wilson. Uh, I think, you know, he, again, he was one of the three best corners on tape, but he ran a 4.6 in the combine and a 4.7 in the 4.7s of the pro day. And I think he's going to wind up dropping to the probably the late second, maybe early third round range. So all of those guys have a chance to go ahead of Jones. And unfortunately, Jones, if healthy, was probably the second or third best in this class. We'll go to Jason with the Palm Beach Post. Um, hey, Todd, with regard to the Miami Dolphins, they've got some needs defensively. Which of those positions would you prioritize with the first-round pick, and uh, how, what do you think the chances are of getting good value at a couple of their other defensive needs later in the draft? Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know if we – we uh, you don't always agree on needs and everything else, but I think I think – Outside linebacker, corner, and safety are, are some of the top needs on the defensive side. Um, they just they need a linebacker that can cover, in my opinion. And so when when you look at where they're picking at number twenty-two, are uh, you know who's going to be available at that spot? It'll be interesting to see. Jared Davis makes a lot of sense, but to me, you you've got to you've got to mix in a guard as well. I think when it, it's all said and done. So how do you how do you put the tandems together? And I think Jared Davis makes makes sense in the first because he is a guy that can cover and has the athleticism. But you also we talked about Zach Cunningham uh, from from Vanderbilt be available in the second. I think if anything, corner and safety because it's so deep this year, and you can get. I just listed off like 11 guys from the cornerback position. You can get a DeMonte Casey from San Diego State. You can get a uh, Tello Witherspoon, who is kind of off the radar, but coming out of Colorado with exceptional size and workout numbers and uh, a long cornerback. Or Rasul Douglas, another long cornerback coming out of West Virginia. All those guys in the third round. Cam Sutton from Tennessee. Um, this third and fourth round at cornerback, to me, is going to be where the value is. So, if you're sitting there with a lot of similar grades, I think you try to take it, take care of maybe the linebacker in the first or second, get your offensive lineman maybe at the second round, with like a Deion Dawkins I mentioned, Dan Feeney from Indiana, one of those guys, and then hopefully you're able to a little bit later find a cornerback that, that can come in and, and contribute right away, sub-package stuff, and, and develop into a, a solid contributor for you. Unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for today. However, there are more Q&A opportunities this week. Tomorrow, a call with John Gruden. Thursday, a call with Mel Kuyper, Jr. Thanks so much for your time. Have a great rest of your day.